0: Welcome back to Hoops with Book and Sheed. We took a brief hiatus for the holiday weekend. I hope everyone enjoyed spending time with friends and family, but we are back today. So we start off talking about a couple of the the games that happened yesterday. So we talk Raptors Celtics and Nuggets Clippers. Then we took a quick break and uh, did just some higher level thoughts on Rockets Lakers and Bucks Heat, uh, both of which have games tonight. And then we finish up the pod with some quick hitters. Uh, I think we have an especially rich quick hitters section today. And of course, we, we, f- we finalize the episode by talking about another Olympic team. Uh, spoiler alert, this one will be Eastern European, former Soviet uh, countries that we, we talk about. So uh, thanks for joining us again on the pod and hope you enjoy the episode. All right, Sheed, we're back after a, uh, after a bit of a reprieve, taking a few days off to let some of these series marinate. And also, it was a long weekend. I think we were both spending time with, with friends and family. But here we are. We're back to the grind, putting out more free content, talking about the NBA.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's great to be back. Um, a lot's happened since we last talked. So I'm, I'm excited to dive in and talk about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's go ahead and, and get right into the Celtics and Raptors. Uh you wanna give the people an overview of what has happened since we last chatted and then we can get into some of the details of the series.
1: Yeah, so when we last chatted, Celtics were um up two oh in the series, had dominant game one, win and then won a tight uh a tight game in in game two, thanks to Marcus Smart having five fourth quarter threes. Um since then, it's been a bit back and forth. Um, game three, obviously, very tight too, and the Celtics really should have taken a three-zero lead, but gave up a three with point five seconds left, uh, a buzzer-beater to OG and Obi. Um, so the Raptors win by one, and then game four, um, the Raptors played, I think, their best game of the series. I like, think frustrated the Celtics and and won a little more handily, a uh, hundred to uh, ninety-three. Um, mm-hmm. Last night, Celtics definitely bounced back. Energy level was higher, and um, they had their second kind of blowout win uh, of the series so far. So it's a three-two Celtics lead, um, and the Raptors will look to try to force a game seven. Um, they play Wednesday night at six thirty Eastern. Um, I guess let's talk about the the Celtics first. Um, since we last talked, they had a couple really really poor shooting nights um, uh, in Game Three and Game Four. Uh, they were nine of 29, from three in game three and seven of 35. So 20% from three uh, in in game four. And I think the Raptors definitely deserve credit for that. Um, you know, they worked really hard and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but they sort of changed up their defenses a lot. Um, but I think what's become clear to me over the course of this series is that like the Celtics are just a tough matchup for the Raptors um, mm-hmm. and they can frustrate them in many ways. Um, So, uh, you know, I think the length bothers the small guards of the Raptors. I think that the ISO um, scoring threat and creation from Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum is tough. And, and really they've had two dominant wins and they, they still, you know, they shot 34% from three last night. So it wasn't like they just made all their shots. I think they just have been getting a higher quality shot than the Raptors and the Raptors need to, sort of muck up the game as much as possible just to just to stay involved I guess what have what have you seen um recently uh, in this series?
0: yeah so I, I think that's a it, it's interesting It felt like game five was one of the first games that wasn't sort of just decided on three point variants like the Raptors shot the ball horrible in games one and two and then games three and four they shot it better um It, it felt like in this game the Celtics just like flat out played better and got better shots. And that is is part of what led to them winning so handily. Um, I do think one thing that I have noticed or found myself questioning is just like the Celtics rotation. Uh, I think there's some interesting stuff to talk about there, especially if slash when Gordon Hayward is able to come back. Like obviously the last few games, it's been interesting to see, They've given uh, Robert Williams, Time Lord, a a little bit more minutes. And I think to me, I would say they do that for just more of his like bounce and energy that he brings on offense and some of the easy buckets that he can get. Um, Beyond that, they have really been cutting down the minutes of their bench, aside from Wanamaker, who played, I think, 28 minutes in game five. Um, so their rotation and kind of how short it's been aside from like some injected time Lord minutes is something that I've found interesting.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think they have so many different ways they can go with things because besides, you know, the fact that they do need some backup center minutes behind, behind Tice and they can do go different, you know, they have different options there. Um, you know. At the other spots, one through four, they have enough uh, enough size and depth that they can basically play whatever position they want off the bench and just shift people around. Um, so like you said, it's been a lot more Wanamaker lately than anyone else. And um, I think he's going to get the most steady the most steady minutes off the bench. And then it's a bit of a mix and match um, for the rest, even the center minutes between Robert Williams and Grant Williams right now. Um, you know, it's one of those things where for Stevens, I think – you know, in these playoff series, it he doesn't have a ton of trust in the young guys. Um, And so you'll see Robert Williams will, will have an amazing quarter like he had in game two or three. And then maybe he'll get benched later Um, because, you know, he's not exactly, even though he's a shot blocker, he's not as disciplined defensively as Tice or Grant Williams is guarding centers. Um And so it's, it, you know, it's a bit of a mix and match, but I think for Stevens, what he's realized is he's gonna try to keep four of his five stars on the floor for about as much time as possible. Um and and then sort of find a solution um from
0: there. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um the the thing that I guess has been, and this is maybe not us providing any insight to our listeners, but the thing that's been, I don't want to say disappointing about this series, but has made me think about like the NBA and basketball and the series that I find most interesting is like it's almost like Stevens and Nurse are both such good coaches and like already kind of come into a series with like their best foot forward. And obviously they make some adjustments as they go that I, it doesn't feel like there's been a lot of really exciting strategy or tactics in this series. It's kind of just been like which team plays better and which team shoots better. And so it's almost like it's more fun or interesting to talk about some of the series that have either like one team that's totally crazy, like the Rockets, or one team that like their coach is kind of crappy, and you're wondering if they're going to figure out whether or not they should make any adjustments.
1: Yeah, the only thing I think that's been any sort of adjustment base is that I think Nurse has been shifting defenses more and more often um, later on, and we can go to the Raptors here a little bit. Um, you know, there was a stretch in game, I think it was games, game three or game four, where he went, and this is in the fourth quarter, he went man-to-man, 3-2 zone, box and one, triangle in two. On, on four straight possessions, um, and that's not to say that he doesn't trust his defense. That's to say that I think by changing defenses so often, he thinks he can prevent the Celtics from getting into their offense until there's ten on the clock or twelve on the clock, and just prevent more of that dribble drive, you know, motion stuff, and make his defense make less rotations. Um, right. So I think that's the only thing that I've really stuck out to me in terms of adjustments, but you're right. It's like these coaches are so good that they sort of, they know what the other, other team wants to do and they know how they're going to try to prevent it. And so I think more than anything that, that shows itself in low scoring games than it does in any sort of differentiation day to day. Right. I think, look, the Raptors are a struggle in trans a struggle in the half court. And so the Celtics are just getting back in transition and making them earn it in the half court, which keeps the score down. And the Celtics, you know, like to get into ISO scoring, um, you know, situations and like to move the ball around. And I think that the Raptors have been mucking that up and have been sort of making it tough to dribble drive and enforcing tougher shots to the Celtics, which creates more misses and et cetera. So I think, like you said, both coaches know what they're trying to accomplish and know what the other coach is trying to accomplish so well that it just results in, instead of having in game to game adjustments, more just like, defense is playing better and defense is being more effective, I guess, versus, you know, some other series we see.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing that contributes a little bit to that is how much uh, Stevens and nurse have been willing to play their guys, big minutes, you know, and not have to rely that much, if at all on their benches. So I think nurse explicitly came out and said, look, I can play my guys the whole second half, because now with all these reviews out of bounds, challenged fouls, et cetera, we're yeah. having these three to four minute breaks at the end of each game that serves as taking these guys out for a few minutes. So I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I would guess that both Ben Bleet and Lowry are averaging north of like forty-two, forty-three minutes a game.
1: Yeah, obviously there's some skew there with two blowouts, um, in games one and game five. But you know they were both well above forty in games three and four. Um, you know maybe Coach Bud could learn a thing or two. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and the other key thing here for the Raptors is just that uh, Siakam has to play better, has to be more impactful, has to, you know, do more. I just think he has found no rhythm in this series, and not create creating scoring for himself. But he's basically not even playing well enough for the Celtics to feel the need to double ever, and so he's not creating any offensive opportunities for the rest of his team. And which is it's part of the reason why the Raptors are really struggling because like we talked about in the Celtics, you know, Tatum and Kemba Walker can go get you a bucket if you need one. And on the Raptors, Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know, you know, Siakam struggling and, you know, Lowry and Van Vliet can try to get it to the rim or try to pull up threes, but it's just less of an effective approach than what the Celtics have in the half court.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think I mentioned this before the series started, but the problem with the Raptors is, you know, I think when it comes to playoff basketball, there's going to be far more situations where a defender is in great position and you still need to beat that defender. And I think last year, Siakam took advantage in situations and maybe even earlier this year where defenders are slightly out of position. And then he has the, the length and quickness to get to the basket and make some of those weird plays that he makes finishing around the hoop. But when you have, you know, Jalen Brown or, you know, uh, Jason Tatum or Marcus Smart, three great wing defenders dean you up like you're not going to get 20 points unless you're an elite scorer. And so that's one thing that I've started been th- started thinking about with the, the longer term future of the Raptors not to put them to bed already, but like, they don't really have that one a guy right now. And I don't know if I see anyone on their team developing into it. And so I, I was kind of wondering, like, with that in mind, a guy like Fred Van Vliet, like, do you think Ujiri is going to be willing to throw a bunch of money at him when he knows that his kind of offensive ceiling is is somewhat limited just given his stature and, and lack of top-end athleticism?
1: Yeah, I would guess not just because I think uh, – we talked about this briefly offline. Like, I, I think Toronto is hopeful to be involved in the Giannis – sweepstakes especially that 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 are looking more likely now that the Bucks are really struggling. So this mm-hmm. like that'd be next offseason, 2021. Um and they have a lot of cap space if they don't sign anyone long term. So I could right. see Ujiri trying to throw a like a big a big one year deal at Van Vliet. But again, like you said, like it doesn't really seem like and this is a good team and Nurse is a great coach and, and all that, but it doesn't really seem like they're really a true like nba title contender right now i mean they could definitely win i mean it's, i guess not out of question but like i'd expect there to be a better team next year than there is right now like this is probably the softest the top of the nba has been in you know a long time obviously before the warriors yeah. um and i would expect the, the best team in the nba next year to be better than the best team in the nba this year and yep. the raptors even if they re-sign van vliet aren't really going to be better because even if you expect marginal improvement from OG and Siakam, right? Lowry's another year older, you know, both Gasol and Abaka are free agents. They can maybe come back on one year deals, but like, again, they're getting older. So, you know, they could maybe be as good as they are right now, but like you said, there's no real upside to it. Um, and Ujiri has proven himself to be a very, very aggressive GM. Mm-hmm. And so I would imagine that he will try to keep Van Vliet, but on a one-year deal or a two-year deal where he feels like he could get off the money if he needed to by giving up a pick or, or whatever. But I right. think he really wants to keep his options open um, for 2021 for the agency.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I definitely have some thoughts there, but we'll save it for potential Raptors offseason preview. So uh, before we move on to this next series, any final thoughts on Celtics-Raptors? Anything for people to watch out for in Game 6?
1: Yeah, I would just say the Celtics, I think, have proven themselves to be a better team in this specific matchup um, through five games, but by making a mistake and giving up a game winning through .5 seconds on the clock, they've given the Raptors life, right? So I wouldn't put it out of the question that the Raptors can get back again, force a game seven, and anything can happen in game seven, but you know, I think the Celtics have proven themselves to be a better team in this matchup, so I would be a little surprised um if the Raptors won but again you know there's there's always you know it's a small sample size in a seven game series so you you know the Celtics have outscored the Raptors by you know 35 points and like they're outscoring by like seven points a game but it's a 3-2 series Mm -hmm. because Raptors are going to pull games out so uh you never know um I think obviously game six will be closer energy level will be higher and, and Lowry will try to put a stamp on it but You know, it should be a great game. And these games are fascinating, like you said, just because there's so much, you know, intense defense and coaching going on.
0: Yeah. I think the thing I look at, if I think back to the games that I've been watching out for is, can the Celtics get a plus offensive performance from someone that is not Tatum or Walker? I think unless those guys are having horrible games, which like Kemba had one of them, you're going to expect those guys to get their buckets. And if you look at the games that the Celtics have won, it's where Marcus Smart goes off for 20 or Jalen Brown goes off for 27. So I think if the Celtics have a non Tatum, non Kemba guy who cooks a little bit and gets them some outsized production, they just have too much scoring for the Raptors to be able to keep up. So that's what I'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah. I mean, it should be fun. Awesome. All right. You ready to move on to Clippers nuggets? Yeah, let's do it. Um, So this is a series. We actually, we haven't talked about at all yet. Um, And so I can just take us through a quick rundown. So game one, I think about as close to a schedule loss as you can have uh, in the bubble for the Nuggets. So the the Clippers won that one handily, I think by 25 or something like that. Second game, Nuggets came out roaring. Jokic and Murray both had great games. Uh, Nuggets ended up pulling that one out uh, in about a 10 point victory. And then last night, game three, uh, pretty back and forth game. The Clip, or the Nuggets actually led for a lot of the game. And then the Clippers clamped down uh, in the third quarter, or in the fourth quarter, uh, had a big game from Paul George. And uh, Clippers came out with about a, a, a 10 point victory. So that's that's where we stand uh, right now. But I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about um, in this series, especially now that we have three games under our belt. So you want to start us off with maybe some of your thoughts on on the Clippers and how they've been looking?
1: yeah uh we talk about this a lot in the clippers mavs series but they're just so talented that i think it can be frustrating at times to watch them because and like they're up to one in this series so i guess i'm kind of nitpicking but like they just don't try very hard at times and it's like kind of mm-hmm. weird to watch because like this is the nba playoffs like you're in a one one series not like you're up 3-0 and like you're gonna give the nuggets a game because you don't really care that much but like I don't know, and, and speaking, you know, specifically about game three, like, they were down 57-45, I think, um, with three and a half minutes to go in the, in the second quarter, and they were mostly down because they were getting beat down the floor for, like, dunks off like off of dead ball turnovers or, like, complaining to the refs getting up wide open threes, like, doing all sorts of stuff where it was just, like, this is the playoffs. You know, I think they have a huge talent advantage here over the Nuggets, but, like, they're like so reliant on that at times that they put themselves in risky situations, right? Like just, you're like getting up a 12 point lead or late in second quarter. Like you can come back. Yeah. But you're, you are adding some variance to the equation where like if the nuggets start to get hot in the second half and like Murray plays a little better and the clip, you know, or the Clippers turn it ball over a little more. Like you're, you're just adding more risk to the equation where I just think you don't have to.
0: Right. Yeah, it seems like there have only been two exceptions to that general lack of energy and enthusiasm, and that is Pat Beverly and uh, the Clippers when they're complaining to the refs.
1: Yeah, and Pat Beverly needs to chill a little too. I mean, <laughs> he got he got he got ejected in game two. He like was aggressively asking Doc Rivers to like challenge a ball that was out of bounds off the Nuggets with like four minutes into the game, and Doc's like. Pat, there's, it's four minutes into the game. Like I'm not going to challenge it just so it's our ball side out instead of the Nuggets ball side out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting though. I think, you know, when Morris plays well, Pat Bev plays well, th- they're really rolling and the, the offense is so hard to defend. Um, you know, Kawhi obviously incredible and, and playoff P is back after his early struggles <laughs> against the Mavs. Uh, you know, he had a hor he had a horrible start to his playoffs, but he's been playing pretty well lately. Um but it's interesting. I think specifically in this series, again, I'm not sure I love all the Harold minutes. I just feel like Jokic is too big for him. He like doesn't provide much on the offensive end. I'd be more intrigued to see them go with like Jamichael Green and more floor spacing on offense. Interesting. Um and space Jokic out to the corner or to the wing or play Morris at center and double because they pretty much have to double anyway when Harrell's in the game. Like, Zubac has a little bit of a chance of defending one-on-one. He's not going to – he's going to foul a lot. He fouled out today in 22 minutes. But, like, uh, you know, even with Harrell on the floor, it pretty much needs to double. So I would almost just, like, play Morris at center or, or Green at center because you have to double anyway and then play for more offense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Yeah, I think the
0: one interesting thing I was going to say there is uh, it seems like the Clippers are definitely deep, but they don't have – they have two really amazing two-way players. And then after that, there's, like, a big drop-off unless Marcus Morris is playing really well. Like, Lou Williams and Harrell, when they're on, are great offensive players, but Lou Williams is always going to be a bad defensive player. And I think Trez is, you know – probably not going to be more than average. And I think especially since he's been back in the bubble, he has not been good. And so then it's like, okay, you have Paul George and Kawhi, who are obviously both elite. But then if you're trying to play two-way guys beyond that, it's like Patrick Beverly, Morris, who's pretty good. And then either like Zubach or Landry Shamit. Um, so that's one thing that's interesting to me is like, how do you <clears> – <throat> shot clock's running down – George and Leonard can't get a look like who's going to create a shot or get a, be able to get a shot. Um, I know, Sorry, a bit of a, a bit of a rambling piece there, but I don't know if you have any thoughts in response to that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's an issue with a lot of teams, right? It's like, you just have offensive options and defensive options. Um, you know, I think Morris can do a little bit of isolation work and, you know, the mid range and then obviously Lee Williams is able to get shots off. But again, like you said, it's a defensive issue. Um, you know, I think it's a bit nitpicky though cuz like, I don't know, they have Paul Kawhi. Like how often is it going to be possible that like Nor Kawhi can get the ball late in the shot clock, right? Yeah, that's fair. Um, um but again, I think what really stands out is just, like the overall talent level, and the depth is just better than <laughs> most other teams in the NBA. Um mm. so that's sort of that sort of should carry them to a serious win here. I I would imagine. Um, What about your initial thoughts on the Nuggets so far um, in this series?
0: So I I don't think it's really that far outside of what we might expect from the Nuggets. Like they struggle to get stops, um, especially when they're playing more of their offensive lineups with Michael Porter Jr. or Jokic and Murray in there. Um, I think offensively, they've been really good, but they need to be elite to keep up. The other thing that hasn't completely surprised me, especially given who's covering him a lot of games is seeing Jamal Murray come back to earth a little bit. So especially in game three, you know, he was only five of 17 from the floor for what, I think 14 points. Um, and only two of seven from three. Uh, and I guess he had nine assists, which is good, but, um, yeah, I think initial observation is like look about as how we would expect it on defense, on offense. Like, yeah, Jokic has, has played great in a couple games, um, but Murray has struggled. And I think to have enough juice to beat the Clippers, they generally need big games from Murray and Jokic, or at least one of their other guys.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think the offense needs to be elite to keep up. Um, and like you said, it's a tougher series for Murray, and also Murray just was due to have some regression from what we saw against the Jazz. Um yeah. but so what they need is you know they need guys who aren't great offensive players to be very good. They need Gary Harris to make threes, which he did in the fourth quarter of game 2. Um they need Millsap to play well, which honestly Millsap's been a lot better than series than he was against the Jazz. And they need Jeremy Grant to make shots and and he he's been okay, but I think a lot of the issue you run into is that even though these guys can make shots, Millsap, you know, uh, Gary Harris and Jeremy Grant, they there's not a lot of gravity to what they're doing. So right. there's there's almost more value to having someone who might not be a better shooter, but who teams respect more just for the offensive space. Because again, like how many threes is you know Jeremy Grant got to take a game three or four? So like
0: yeah, I mean last night he was one for six from three and five for fourteen from the yeah. field and especially down the stretch, you could see that the Clippers were just going to give him wide open shots and say, if Grant's going to beat us, so be it.
1: Yeah. And that's some, a lot of the issue, right? Cause you think about like a lower usage player, like Jeremy Grant is offensively, like he's honestly had a pretty good year shooting the ball, but like you'd almost, you almost prefer him to be actually a worse three point shooter that a team respects more than a better three point shooter that a team respects less. Just cause on the 95% of possessions, he's not shooting a three he provides so much more value of guys are like, oh, we need to close out t- to Jeremy Grant as opposed to like what they're doing now.
0: Yeah, right, which is, I guess, maybe a little bit of what Gary Harris gives you because historically, at least a couple years ago, he was pretty red hot from three.
1: Yeah, um, he definitely can, can do some things. Um, and obviously their third best offensive player here is MPJ. Uh, and the Muggle Porter Jr. experience is strongest ever with every play either being incredible
0: or oh terrible. my gosh. He put Montrez Harrell in his grave. Yeah.
1: Um incredible poster dunk on Montrez Harrell. Uh next possession down, bad contested. heat check three. Then he gets a defense rebound, goes behind his back, and dribbles it right into Montrez Harrell's chest, who got fouled. Uh he did not play a lot down the stretch here. He came back in late, but Malone was trying to play more defense than offense. Which I don't know, it's hard to say. <laughs> I don't think either is a great option because, like we said, we were replacing him in the lineup with, you know, Gary Harris or Paul Millsap or whoever. It's not a great offensive player. Mm -hmm. But I think the Clips would just target him every single time if he was in the
0: game late. The one thing I'll say here to criticize Malone is, like, you should have been playing Michael Porter Jr. 25 to 30 minutes a game the entire year so that he wouldn't be making these mistakes. Like, you would expect a guy in the NBA in his first year to just, like, this is basically his first year to be like making stupid mistakes sometimes, you know, halfway through the year. But once you get to the end of the season, like, okay, you hope he's cleaned some of that up. But for Michael Porter Jr., he's still sort of in the middle of his season because Malone didn't give him any minutes in in the regular season.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so moving forward here, you know, I I wouldn't surprise me the Nuggets won another game and push it to six, mm-hmm. but it just seems like the overall talent level and the two way abilities of. Yeah, you know, Paul George, Kawhi, and it just like seems like it's going to be too much of the Nuggets.
0: Yeah. Any Anything on Jokic you want to say? We haven't really talked about him. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of just yes. like he's been doing his thing, like going <laughs> at the small guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's very good, I guess is what I would say. Uh, <laughs> I think his energy level, honestly, defensively has been better. But um, And it's not a horrible matchup for him defensively, just because I don't think Zubats are or uh, Harold's going to kill him. But he obviously is a, such a factor offensively that, you know, making the right play, making shots, making amazing passes. He's just a, really fun to watch.
0: Yeah. Do you think as a Serbian, he's talking some trash to Zubac when they're down on a block? Uh, Zubac is He's Croatian, right? Yeah. Is he?
1: I thought he was Serbian.
0: I don't know. We did oh, are, they are they both Serbian? Are they teammates?
1: I got, well, it's, a, it's a quick Google away. Let's see. Croatian, yeah. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah, that's why I hate each other.
0: Former eighth grade guys. geography bee champion, not to brag. Um, wow. uh, yeah, there's there's got to be some trash talk going on down there. Um, all right, so Nuggets Clippers, we have game four, uh, to, not tomorrow, sorry, Wednesday. Yeah, my, if you want my prediction, it would be that the Clippers come out and are pretty energetic in game four, win that one. Uh, then they relax a little bit in game five when the Nuggets have their backs against so the wall, we'll drop that one, and then take care of it in game six. Is that um, is that is that gambling
1: advice for the listeners, or is, is that not gambling advice?
0: Uh, it is explicitly not gambling advice because I don't gamble. But if I did, that's what I would do. All right. Sounds good. All right. Let's take a quick breather before we talk about Rockets-Lakers and Bucks-Heat and then get to our quick hitters. Great. We're now going to move on and talk about uh, Lakers, Rockets, and Bucks Heat. We'll only do five or ten minutes on each since those games are tonight, and we can maybe get a little deeper into uh, the strategy with each of them after we we get a fresh look at that tonight. But let's start with the Lakers. Uh, Well, I guess maybe take a step back. Do you want to just let people know where we are in the series?
1: Yeah. um, Rockets had a kind of dominant – game one win over the Lakers and then a game two Lakers had a huge halftime lead Rockets came back and took the lead in the third quarter and then the Lakers pulled away late to win by uh, eight 117 109 so we're tied up one one has been a pretty interesting series um, thus far and then yeah like you said let's let's start with the Lakers Uh, you want to start us out there Nick
0: yeah sure so I think originally, uh, defensively, it's been interesting. They've had AD covering Westbrook, um, trying to limit, I think, a lot of his stuff getting to the rim. And then they've had Danny Green to begin with on James Harden, who's a guy who I think has some experience covering Harden from uh, his days back in in San Antonio. I think to begin with – The coverage on Westbrook is effective. Uh, I'm not sure how great of a job Danny Green is doing on Harden. But uh, another thing about their defense is that they have been switching a lot. Um, So I'm not sure they have like a super cohesive plan for when they are or aren't switching. um, But it looks like it's something that they have been doing. Um, So that's kind of at least what I've seen defensively is, you know, Putting AD on Westbrook, having Green cover Harden, I think trying to scramble a little bit on the back end with the Harden piece, doing a fair amount of switching. Um, what about you? Anything from the Lakers, either defensively or offensively, that has jumped out at you thus far?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think AD needs to be uh, very aggressive. Um, like, I think PJ Tucker can do an okay job, but he's – I mean, AD is, like six inches taller than them, and, yeah, you know, um, you know, but – It just feels like that AD should be the matchup they take advantage of here. Um, The only other thing I think to take note of, I think, so far from the Lakers is I'm always interested to see whether they go big or small. To me, I think it makes more sense to go small just because I don't really think the bigs provide anything offensively or are so good at offensive rebounding that they, they make up for the fact that they have to guard someone on the perimeter on the other side of the floor. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I like to see more lineups that have, you know, A.D., LeBron, Danny Green, KCP, and then, you know, Rondo or Caruso or Kuzma, basically, I guess. Yeah. Or or even Marquise Morris, who had a big game, too. Um, Like, those seem like they have more of the potential to be difficult guards for the Rockets than, you know, just... A D and Dwight Howard just trying to dominate the offensive glass as like your offensive strategy. And then Dwight Howard has to guard whoever like PJ Tucker in the corner or you know, Daniel house or whoever on the Rockets. It just doesn't really seem like a huge series for that.
0: Yeah. I was actually thinking about this, like what the, the Lakers best five down the stretches and call me crazy. But I think the five that I would maybe experiment with if I was Frank Vogel would be Caruso KCP, Kuzma, LeBron, AD.
1: Yeah, I mean that's fine. Playoff Rondo. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate seeing some some playoff Rondo. Wait, um, did I say
0: Rondo? No. Or you want to I see said, Rondo? I
1: I want to see Rondo. I you love Caruso. I love Rondo. It's okay. I'm a Gee, Celtics Rondo, fan.
0: Rondo's trash.
1: <laughs> he's he's trash except in the playoffs, and then he's good. I guess playoff he's horrible Rondo. in
0: game one. Game two, he was definitely better. I mean, they had that. Rondo, Marquise Morris takeover quarter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't. Know, maybe if you're Frank Vogel, or you're like, if this team is gonna make it past a series with the Clippers or win the finals, you're gonna need Rajon Rondo giving you 15 to 20 good creator minutes off the bench, which is something that right now basically no one except for LeBron and the Lakers can create for other people.
1: Yeah, it Lakers. It's just so apparent that they'd had to give up all their good assets to get AD. It's yeah. like the rest of the team is just and it's not that I blame them for signing Danny Green to the deal they did. I think he's kind of washed and he's probably it's probably not ideal, but I it made sense in the moment. It's just like there's just not a lot of playmaking yeah. available outside of obviously LeBron who's incredible.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and so, you know, that's sort of the overall story. Like we talked about this against the Blazers too. I mean, they they were obviously way more talented, way more size and all that. But like, there were still times where it's like, why are they not just scoring? Like, yeah. like have, They have two of like the seven best players in the NBA. And it's like, oh, it's because the other three guys on the floor like, are bad offensive players or average at best.
0: Mm. Well, as KOC always says on Twitter, don't take LeBron James for granted. I, uh, I do not for a second question his ability to put a team on his back and carry them at least through the next series or two and and now he's got ad so um you know i'm not offering betting advice but i would probably still have some confidence in the lakers here because they have one of the two to three best nba players of all time who is still somehow miraculously somewhat in his prime on the roster um let's let's pivot over to the rockets um what have you seen from the rockets thus far in this series
1: Yeah, uh, I would say mostly what I've seen (laughs) is uh, Harden is very good and Westbrook has been very bad, Um, you know, which makes me feel good as someone who thought Harden should have won the MVP that year where, uh, you know, Westbrook averaged triple-double. But um, Harden's looking very, very comfortable without Dort guarding him. Um, Yeah,
0: I mean, I – I agree with that. Uh, If you stick around for the quick hitters, I'm going to give everyone the the three minutes of uninterrupted Dort praise that you all deserve from me as a hustle guy, defensive player lover. So I I won't say a whole lot more about Dort um, right now, but uh, there will be space for that conversation. But yeah, I mean – if you look at game one, actually, Westbrook was plus 15 and Harden was even for the game. Now, I don't think that necessarily means that, like, Westbrook was an overwhelmingly positive presence, but it seems like he had a decent game and the Rockets won. Then in the second game, Westbrook minus 15, Harden plus 8. Westbrook was pretty terrible in that game. I think he shot seven threes, which is atypical of Westbrook, and he had seven turnovers. So,
1: yeah, it's, it like, I felt like...
0: I watched Westbrook from like the first
1: month of the season. Like it felt like they spent months and months and months, like sort of cleaning up how he played to most best fit their style. And he sort of bought in and was so effective just being an attacker, being a role, man, a cutter, you know, attacking matchups, getting to the rim. And he was so good for like, you know, the two or three months right before the, right before the season, you know, was cut off in March. Um, It just felt like he's like, just slowly reverting back to his old ways of, like, taking bad pull-up jumpers, taking threes where he's not a good shooter. You know, it's just – it's very frustrating to watch.
0: Yeah, one thing I wonder is if, like, the me- the physical aspect of his game is part of what – As a – hey, sorry, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, you're back now. You just need- you're going to cut out, like – seconds in the middle like
0: you just went kind of out for like 10 seconds okay got it um we'll just reset so yeah what I was saying about Westbrook is I wonder if the quad injury is impacting this I mean it's a lot harder to like actually get to the rim but also have the mental confidence to do it when you feel like one of your wheels is kind of bad um and so I I would wonder if that's kind of impacting his his game on offense where he doesn't have the confidence to get to the rim but he still unfortunately has the confidence to shoot 20 footers and and that's why he's settling for more of those jumpers
1: yeah um i guess the last thing here in the rockets um is it it, it really felt like they could have gone up two zero um on sunday night um they made 21 threes they shot well You know, if they had an average Westbrook game, I think they would have won. So that's unfortunate because I think there will be games like, you know, the Rockies. There's a lot of three point variants like there will be games where they shoot poorly and they'll definitely lose those games. So um, I think it's a missed opportunity for them. But I think it's just this seems like a series that that, you know, will likely go six, at least six, maybe seven.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. All right, we'll we'll save more in-depth discussion on that series for after uh, game three, which is being played tonight. So let's pivot over to Bucks Heat. Um, I think this is another one where we're just gonna touch on it quickly. We actually haven't talked a lot about this series, uh, but given the fact that what I think is Giannis playing tonight or no? I think it's questionable. They said it seems pretty similar to what he did before
1: game four. So he did play in game four, obviously, but. Re-injury risk seems high. So
0: I think it's pretty up in the air right now. Got it. Okay. So yeah, to, to give people an idea, this series uh, is 3-1. The Heat went out and took a commanding 3-0 lead. Uh, Bucks came out screaming at the beginning of game four, especially Giannis. Then he got hurt. The Bucks managed to pull it out in overtime uh, to send it to a fifth game. Um, but I think if you're the Heat, you're probably feeling pretty good about your chances. Uh, down the stretch here. And I, honestly, a lot of the national conversation has already pivoted away from what is interesting about this series. What are the Heat doing? How are the Bucks going to adjust to, you know, questioning Giannis and questioning the future of the Bucks. Um, Before we get to all that, thoughts on just like the basketball that we've seen thus far?
1: Look, I think the Heat are a bad matchup for the Bucks. I think... There's obviously there's some sort of shooting variance, and I think the Heat role players are playing with more confidence than the Bucks role players. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this would have been a really tough series regardless, but I, I, it's just like Coach Bud just makes no adjustments. Like there's just never like Giannis went out, and they were better with Giannis out because they did something besides give Giannis the ball and not move on the perimeter. Right, like, it's not Giannis's fault. Like it, 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 really isn't. Like he, like they need to run stuff to get him in different situations, or use him as a screener and then get the ball, or whatever. Instead of just giving him the ball thirty feet in the basket, top of the key. And like, yes, he has some limitations to his game. Like he doesn't shoot the ball well, et cetera. And he's like, he can get to the rim even if you give him the ball top of the key, thirty feet away. But like, they have no, they didn't run anything to create any space for him to operate any of the first three games. And he was like kind of pissed off and dominated the first quarter and a half of game four. Um, But then once he went out, they like did stuff. Like they ran pick and rolls with Middleton. They had, you know, Dante DiVincenzo cutting off the ball for layups. They had George Hill relocating on the perimeter for threes. Like they just played with more energy offensively, I guess. Um, Right. and, And obviously, part of this is a heat letdown because Giannis was out. I'm not saying that they can compete with the heat. They won't if Giannis doesn't play, um, you know, the rest of the series or whatever, but it just feels like they need to figure out a way that Giannis operates, you know, maybe as, as the primary option offensively, but like in the system, like they should run a million Chris Middleton Giannis pick and rolls, like a million of them and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's been pretty frustrating. Um, Watch at times. Um, and I actually feel encouraged that if Giannis does play, they, they might change things up more than they have previously, just because I think Bud re- bud is starting to realize, I guess, like, you know, it only takes going down 3 0 um, for Bud to realize that maybe he should make some adjustments. Um, <laughs> but Again, I, I don't want to take away from what the Heat are doing. Um, we can dive in there. Um, yeah,
0: so I, I have some thoughts on the Heat. So uh, as you said, I think one thing is just like the Heat's role players have been shooting the ball really well. Like it, Jay Crowder is, is doing a great job making three-pointers, and I think given what he can do defensively on Giannis, like that has been huge for the Heat. I think Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson um, have so much gravity when they're out there on the floor. Like people – chase duncan robinson around like he's literally clay thompson like it's insane he like and if he gets a half an inch coming off a screen he's like pulling up and shooting which i think is one thing where like his height gives him so much effectiveness because if you're not right in his grill like he's just big enough and he shoots high or he he jumps high enough on his jump shot that he can get those off uh but starting with the heats role players i've been very impressed by their play and then i think the the next biggest thing is just that Drogic and Bam have both been playing fantastic. I think Drogic has been awesome in the pick and roll. He's shooting the ball well, uh but just seems to like make great decisions when he's coming off that screen with Bledsoe on his butt and Bam kind of hanging out either for the lob or the pull or the you know little 15 foot jumper. Um and then Bam just continues to do all the little things. He hits clutch shots, he plays great defense, he hustles. Um, so I, I think just like up and down the heat's roster, they have found guys to play specific roles and those guys are all playing their roles really well. And then Jimmy Butler's doing alpha Jimmy Butler stuff and the heat have looked good. Yeah. Um,
1: Butler has been great. Doesn't always score a lot, but kind of just gives the heat, whatever they need on a given night. And even to score 30, he'll do it. And then to get to the line. He'll do it. And him to distribute, he'll do it. Defend Giannis, you know, all those things. Um, I think the Heat were disappointing themselves for the energy level in the second half in Game 4, so I expect a super high-energy start from them in Game 5, um, which should probably, you know, if Giannis is out, I wouldn't surprise, wouldn't surprise me if they sort of bury the Bucks right away. But no matter what, I expect them to be, you know, super energetic, super high-level basketball from them. So even if Giannis plays and is somewhat healthy, I think it'll be, you know, at the very least a tight game.
0: Yeah, agreed with that. Um, the one other thing I'll say about this series is I think it's a – uh, a reminder that basketball is a team game and I think you see the Heat really playing well together and firing on all cylinders as a team and you know the Bucks, not to say they don't know how to play with each other but it's like their team is so centered around Giannis and if you kind of stop the one thing that they do they aren't as great at going to the next thing and that's where I think coaching then comes in and the bucks coaching has been bad. And with Spolstra, the heat's coaching has obviously been great. So teamwork and coaching, uh, t- two keys to basketball.
1: Exactly. Uh,
0: exactly.
1: Do you want to move on to some quick hitters here?
0: Yeah, let's do it. I feel like we got an action packed, uh, segment of quick hitters for people here. Let's, let's start with Matt's stats. So what are your, some of your most preposterous box score items from the last few games?
1: Yeah, so some honorable mentions here were uh Reggie Jackson had a game where he had, he played thirteen minutes and his only stats were two fouls. So it wasn't quite an, a thirteen trillion, but it was close. Uh nine trillion. Uh so no stats in nine minutes for Markeith Morris in game one and followed it up with with four first quarter threes in, in game two. So, you know, quite a stretch there for Markeef. And then really a sad one for me as a Celtics fan was Taco Falls minus three. Uh, you know, plus minus and point five seconds of of play in, in game three of <laughs> Celtics Raptors. That would have been a minus seventeen thousand two hundred eighty over the full forty eight minutes. So that you know, that was sad for me.
0: Yeah, that I, I thought it was smart that they brought him in to contest that uh, inbounds, which brought back, you know, shades of Boban jumping up and down, I think, when he was on the Pistons. Uh, but obviously, Kyle Lowry had an advantage in that there are no fans on the court, so he could just back up eight feet and get the angle that yeah. he needed. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are, those are some great stats. Um, so a couple of ridiculous questions. I'll start with one that I have for you. Um, yeah what do you think the analytics are on like shooting percentages when someone is within like one foot versus two feet? Cause like if you look at all the games, of these playoffs, I'm sure other people are being frustrated by it. It's all these fouls on jump shots, which I think, Some of it is like offensive players have gotten really good at drawing those fouls. Some of it is the refs are calling stuff that I think they shouldn't. And then some of it is I think guys are just dumb sometimes and how they close out. So if I were a coach, I would be teaching my guys to literally just stop like a foot and a half short of a guy when you're closing out on them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably right. I think it probably depends. I think the issue is it probably doesn't make a huge difference in terms of like if you're just closing out and the guy's shooting it as you close out, if you close out with two feet or one feet, I do think where you probably run into trouble is like if the guy's not catching it off, shooting it off the catch right away. If you close out to two feet instead of one feet, then he can just like get it off more cleanly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. After yeah. the fact, but I think it's stuff worth saying. There's a lot of horrible fouls going on. Uh, yeah, reaching in, getting people in the wrist, et cetera. Yeah,
0: um, we do have our analytics expert coming on soon, so maybe we can ask him about that.
1: And that should be a great question um, for him. And then, you know, as is on brand here for the podcast, you're asking smart basketball questions, and I'm asking just random things I notice uh, during the game. So I guess my question for you is, do you think throat lozenges would help Doc Rivers? <laughs> it was the first. It was the end of the first quarter interview, and he like didn't have his voice. And it's like I don't really get it. Like, like he's losing his voice every time, every game, and it's like 12 minutes in.
0: How much yelling can you possibly do in the first 12 minutes of a game? It's also it's not like he's the only NBA coach that yells. I think some yeah. of it might be a bit. But that's that's a great question. It, that would honestly if you were a Doc Rivers marketing guy, that would be such a good idea is to reach out to like throat lozenge companies and be like, "Hey, do you want to uh, do you want to sponsor Doc Rivers? That you could you could get a great commercial out yeah.
1: that." I mean, also, do you want to sponsor our podcast?
0: Yeah, exactly um all right so next category funniest non-sports related thoughts when watching the game which i guess this one sort of bleeds into ridiculous questions but who do you think is the best at jump balls in the nba like is there a stat for that like my guess would be like someone like Giannis, because i was thinking about it's it seems like it's not just height that is a determinant of it but it's like how quick of a jump like how quick you get off the floor and probably some of it is, like, experience, too. So, like, I think Bam and Brooke Lopez. Like, Brooke Lopez is taller, but Bam is, like, such an athletic leaper. Like who? Yeah. Uh, somebody's got to keep know. track of this, right?
1: Yeah, I would imagine Bam's very good. Giannis is very good. Like, sort of athletic shot, like, shot blocker types would be good. AD. Like, like, yeah, AD would probably be good. Like, I imagine Robert Williams would be good if he did a lot, lot of jump balls. Just, like, super quick jump guys who have long arms and are pretty tall. But, um i don't know but like it's weird because like even guys who are like marcus Saul is like pretty good even though he's like doesn't really jump anymore so i don't really know and i i did not uh participate in a lot of jump balls in my basketball career so i can't really tell
0: you what like the technique is of how it looks get like they all get, they get it they get the ball when it's on its way up so it's like it's not like these guys are jumping six feet off or like whatever that's exactly yeah two feet off the ground to get the tip it's like it happens really fast. Uh, that may be another question for an analytics expert. If there's a data set that we could look at,
1: yeah, I like that. Uh, my funniest non-sports-related thought uh, was Paul George like kind of shaved his beard, but like didn't shave it all the way, and looks very weird. Like he looks weird with like a very short beard, as opposed to his like normal, more full beard.
0: Yeah, that not a hairline, but another great uh hair observation. Yeah, Iggy, so Iggy, Iggy's hairline is still a disaster. I notice it every time <laughs> it
1: comes in the game. Um...
0: Uh, well, well, you'll have to keep that trend continuing, watching out for guys' hair. All right, next category, ninth man player of the day. So I'm going to start off with an homage here to Lou Dort, who I think is the ninth man player of the year, perhaps the ninth man player of the decade for – Uh, his play in the series with the Houston Rockets. So obviously Lou Dort had his struggles offensively throughout the series, but he was incredible covering James Harden. Like Harden still had good games, but he was keeping James Harden out of the lane a lot. He was keeping him off the free throw line, which I think was a huge thing. And then in game seven, Lou Dort, 30 points, made like four or five three pointers and had a look down the stretch with what two seconds left that Harden blocked. But if, yeah. if Lou Dort would have hit a game winning three, I think I would have absolutely lost my mind. So wanted to give a shout out to Lou Dort, just a six foot four block of concrete that somehow is also incredibly quick.
1: Yeah. Uh, he was incredible. Uh, what a series for him. I think he's going to be a good player in the NBA for a long time. Um, you know, needs to work on his offense, obviously, but uh, it was impressive. Uh, the other guys I had in mind here were Derek Jones, who's been kind of in and out of the rotation. Um, has had some really key moments, um, flying around on defense, blocking shots, made a couple threes, so he's been really good for the Heat. And then Brad Wanamaker is uh, only really a ninth man, I guess. I think ideally he would be more of a ninth man, but because of the Celtics' injuries and depth issues, he's more like the sixth man. But <laughs> he had he had 15 points in Game Five. Um, he also like doesn't he like doesn't jump he's like kind of like very old man game for like does he have like really bad
0: knees or is he just not athletic
1: i don't know like he dunked it once or twice this year but he's like he's like a very sturdy like six foot three guard who like honestly is like pretty decent like lateral quickness just like literally has no vertical ability at all
0: yeah what can you Uh, do all right, you want to talk about the annoying announcers? I honestly didn't get much announcer exposure because I was like watching on airplanes and um,
1: yeah, in a, sure uh,
0: without volume. Reggie Miller
1: is like just everything about Reggie Miller's an announcer kind of sucks. So I think she would be my annoying announcer of the week. Um, we had a lot of Reggie Miller games in the past few days, and then uh, one thing that was really funny was like at the end of the Celtics Raptors game last night, like Stan Van Gundy. Tremont Waters, was like, a two-way player, who is honestly, like, a, sol- a fine player. Like, he was drafted second round. Like, I think he'll probably be in the NBA for multiple years. Um, he's really small, but he's talented. Uh, he Where did he go to game. college? He went to LSU. Uh oh, okay. he, he came in the game, and, like, Stan Van Gundy was, like, basically talking about him. Like, he, like, had, like, won, like, some prize that allowed him to play in this playoff game. He was just like, this is a moment I'll never forget. Like... You know, I don't know how long he'll be in the league, but he'll always be able to say, I played in the playoff game. And I was like, Stan, like, it's kind of, like, disrespectful. to be like, wow, like, what a gift for Tremont Waters to be able to play in this game because I think it's so big. It was kind of ridiculous. But, (laughs) Uh, you know, Stan Stan will be Stan. So, that was – Yeah,
0: that's a good one. I miss that. But that's pretty hilarious.
1: um, I guess the last thing on the pod for today is what's our, uh, you know, geography lesson, basketball, inner, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for this one. So I was doing some more brainstorming on potential teams that you could put together. And I think one interesting question is how do we continue to create good teams out of Europe without it being like a European super team? So obviously we had our, our Yugoslav team. And so the thought that came to mind is let's do an Eastern European former USSR. And so I was like, okay, former USSR, like there's a lot to play with there. And then I was like, wait, was Yugoslavia a part of the USSR? answer to that question, which I found out after some research is that no, Yugoslavia was not a part of the USSR. So they were communist, but because of the Tito Stalin split in 1948, Yugoslavia was uh, expelled, which I don't know why you would expel a country from your Soviet empire, but they were expelled from the USSR in 1948. So uh, it is clean for me to be able to say, uh, we are creating a USSR team and none of the Yugoslav uh, people are part of it. So we're talking Eastern Europe, former Soviet republics, etc. cetera. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to start off by walking through the countries and the players that fall into each of those. And then we'll get to a, a starting five and a bench. So right, sounds good. First country, we have the Czech Republic. Uh, for this one, we have, we have Thomas Sadoransky guard for the bulls. Um, one other question I had when I was doing research is, could we get Finland? Could we have Laurie Markkinen? But no, Finland was actually never under Soviet control. Um, I think they were like very privy to their influence and got taken over during World War II. Uh, actually, no, maybe not. I know that the Finns do not. There's not a lot of love lost between the Finns and the Russians. So, uh, Laurie Markkinen, you will not be on this team. Sorry. Um, okay, sounds good next country, which is one that I think is actually pretty good for this, is Latvia. So Latvia has Davis Bertans. They have Kourouks from the Nets. They have uh, some guy who I don't even know. I was going to ask if you know who this guy is. Anzej Pesedniks? Yeah,
1: yeah Anzej P- P- Uh He was a first-round pick uh, a few years ago. He's horrible at basketball. He was drafted by the Sixers. Uh, he was on the Wizards this year, but I think he was pretty much on the wizard, so like they could keep Berton's happy. Interesting. Uh, he's like 7 2 and has no discernible NBA basketball skills.
0: Okay, good to know. Uh, a, a different 7 2 guy with discernible NBA skills, also from Mafia, is Porzingis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other guy that I unearthed is Darius Berton. So this is Davis's older brother. He's a shooting guard, because as you'll see, we're going to need some guard talent on this team. Um, and he played six minutes for the Pelicans in one game in 2019. Um, so we're cool. we're bringing Darius Bertans onto the team. Cool. Sounds good to me. All right. Next, we have Lithuania. So from Lithuania, we have Sabonis and Valanchunis. So two good big guys. From Russia, also had to unearth another guy who's no longer in the NBA, but was an NBA player. So we're going to let him play. And that's Alexi Shved. Uh, former Knicks legend. I don't know if you have any Alexi Shved memories that you want to share with our listeners.
1: Yeah. I remember him being just like kind of a lot. Like he just like, wasn't good, but it was like pretty fun to watch.
0: Yeah. He wore like a shooting sleeve, I think. Uh, yeah. That's which cool. It's funny. Um, and then last country uh, is Ukraine. So from the Ukraine, we have Alex Len uh, center for the Hawks and then uh, budding Pistons star, Svi Mikhailuk, uh, former Kansas legend, sharpshooter, um a, a great addition to this team i actually think
1: yeah i mean we need some guard play and he'll be helpful in that case yeah
0: so all right going to our starting five we got sadaransky at the point makai at the two bertans at the three sabonis at the four and then porzingis at the five what are your thoughts on that starting lineup i mean it's
1: i think it's very strong offensively like sadaransky not a great shooter but a solid shooter and then Mikhailuk's knocked down, Bertons is knocked down, Porzingis is kind of knocked down, and like then you just let Sabonis operate down low, like kind of by himself, and it should be a very effective offense. Sure. Again, very similar to our problems with the with the former Yugoslav Republic team. Defense not going to be great here. Um
0: yeah, You have some rim protection from Porzingis.
1: Yeah, Porzingis for the rim is a very solid defender. Uh Luke is average, I would say. Um The Bertans, the Bertans Sabonis combination at the three and the four is going to be tough. Yeah,
0: they're going to struggle with some quicker teams. Um, And then coming off the bench, we would have Alexi Shved and the older Bertans uh, as our guards. So not not great guard play. Uh, Kourouks as like a, a wing. And then Valanchunas uh, as a big man and probably not going to give many minutes to Len, but I put him on there. So, yeah, my my thoughts were tons of shooting, not as much ball handling or defense as you want. Probably a great passing team. Um, If I'm thinking about where this team fits into the other, like the hierarchy, I think like definitely worse than Yugoslavia. I think also worse than Canada. I think it would actually be a pretty interesting matchup with Team Africa, which if you think back had like Embiid and Siakam, but also not a lot of guard play. Um, So, yeah, that's that's my kind of initial thinking on where this team lands is like middle of the road.
1: Yeah, unfortunately better than the German national team again, which is sad, but.
0: Yeah, yeah, I might I might have to like think up a team that'll be worse than Germany because right now they're just kind of still in the dumpster.
1: Yeah, it's too bad. All right. All right.
0: Any any uh parting thoughts for the listeners before we sign off for the day? I guess uh we're going to try to put out a pod maybe tomorrow uh yeah, talking I'd... about Yeah, talking I'd... about I'd... Lakers, Rockets and and Bucks heat.
1: Yeah, I think we'll have a quick pod tomorrow on those two games. Those should be two great games tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Um, And, you know, NBA basketball is amazing. It's been great to watch it for the last couple months, and I'm I'm glad we still have it.
0: Yeah, NBA, where amazing happens, right? That's that's a commercial. Exactly. All right. Well, we we hope to see more amazing in the NBA continue to happen, and uh, we look forward to talking about that amazing. So thanks for the time, Sheed. Uh, We'll talk again soon. Yeah, talk to you later, Buck.